0: Lord, we Lord we
1: uh,
0: Lord, we bask in the glow of your presence here. We bask in the, in the glory and the wonder and the power of your presence here. Lord, we stand in wonder at the foot of your cross, and we stand rejoicing at the at the truth of your resurrection Lord and we, we stand too Lord and just the adoration of the word you've given us and, and the way you Holy Spirit awaken the power of that word in our lives and the revelation of that word in our lives and the, and the living out of that word in our lives and we invite you to please come and, and just stir us Lord uh, open us to, to what you have for us today in your holy, holy, holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. We had a beautiful weekend last weekend. We meditated on the enormity of what Christ did for us on the cross on Good Friday. And then on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we rejoiced in the reality and the power of His resurrection, and we did that together in, in in just such a wonderful way. And I want to say this to you: Good Friday and Easter are not over, and they will they will never be over, because it's it's the cross and the resurrection that that we enter into day by day in our lives from here on out into eternity. That's our priority, isn't it? With that in mind, our next sermon series is called Because He Lives. We'll explore together passages from the first six chapters of the book of Acts. And and those and the book of Acts describes the beginning of the Christian church. And just as the Acts Church we will continue to circle around the cross of Christ and to rejoice in his celebration. Our priorities of worshiping God, growing in Christ, serving and loving one another, and reaching out to all resonate throughout those first six chapters of Acts. And, And among the topics we'll look at in the weeks ahead are how to share the gospel message. That'll be next week the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we'll look at that incredible uh, Pentecost um, experience. And then we'll talk about body-life priorities, walking by faith, dealing with opposition, living with integrity, and perseverance. Today, we're going to look at the amazing commission from Christ to be his witnesses. I'd like to call your attention before we get into the book of Acts to three foundational words that were the, uh, which Christ spoke right before he gave up his spirit on the cross. And I believe these, in my heart, are the three most important words that were ever spoken in the history of the world. And those three words are, It is finished what is this it that Jesus had declared was finished in this triumphant statement? This wasn't a statement like, it's finished. This was, this was it's finished. And, and the answer to the, what that it is, I've accomplished my mission. I've completed the work I was sent to do. A way has been made for everyone who will come to me to enter into my will, and to live out that certain life that I long to impart. Oh, those were powerful words. <laughs> His mission was accomplished. And yet I want to say this to you. As surely as he lives, and as he lives in us, and as he sent us the Holy Spirit, that mission of reaching out to all lives within us as well. And we get to live it out day by day. Let's look at this passage, John 19, verses 28 to 30. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit Don't you love that that truth he he gave up his spirit the time had come for him to do that he didn't succumb to to being victimized and to death he gave up his spirit into your hands I commend my spirit is in one of the gospels but but let's look at this this statement he made I am thirsty. And certainly, given the ordeal of the cross, there was a a degree of physical thirst. But I think there's two reasons, bigger reasons, why Jesus made that statement. First, as he says here, in order to fulfill the scripture, there's Psalm 69, 21. The second half of that scripture says, For my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. In other words, he was so careful to dot each I and cross each T in confirming all the prophecies in Scripture that pointed to his coming. And the second reason I believe he said, I am thirsty, is because of his thirst and his longing to see his commission, his mission be fulfilled, to be lived out in each of our lives. I am thirsty to see the mission and the finished work that I've done be carried out in each and every one of us. Let's go to uh, Acts and look at uh, chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 and we'll see how Christ carried on with this mission by calling his followers including us to be his witnesses. First of all, let me say the book of Acts was written by a physician by the name of Luke and he's the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he was a, a, had a very keen intellect as well as being a, a man of, after God's heart. And he was so careful to faithfully chronicle the events of, of Jesus' life and, and the events of his followers. And he was also a, a dear friend in the Lord to the Apostle Paul and a, and a traveling companion with Paul on many of his missions. So let's look at these first 11 verses of Acts. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord is it this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him Go into heaven that is an action packed eleven verses isn 't it so let's let 's dig into these verses um, by the way, this person that theophilus Theophilus who uh, Luke addresses these uh, the gospel as well as the, the book of acts two we don 't really know who he who he, who he was because the only mention in the Bible is is these two passages however. Theophilus means person who loves God, and we know he was he was a, a man who wanted to to hear about and and understand the the descriptions of who Christ is and and what his disciples are seeking to do as they seek to follow him. So let's 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 go back and look at the first five verses, which are really a summary of the book of Luke, and and so. It's, it's a great way that uh, Luke begins in Acts by, by confirming the truth of the Gospel of Luke. And he says this, the first account I composed about all that Jesus began to do and teach, referring to the book of Luke, until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Let's look at this word Began. First account I composed about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Doesn't that tell us that in, in the three years Christ was on earth, it was a beginning of all he was to teach? But the teaching is ongoing and it's taking place right here and now in our midst, too, isn't it? I mean, the Holy Spirit, as we open his word, brings revelation into our hearts. And awakenings and and we get to explore and dig into the depths and the height of his word. The teaching is ongoing. In verse three it says to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. Luke is careful here to underscore the reality of the resurrection appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When Jesus said, you heard of, of this baptism by the Holy Spirit for me, we, we, there are several references in the Bible that refer to that, but let's, let's look at a couple of them. First of all, John 14, verses 16 through 17, where it says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. You see how careful Jesus is to reassure us, to know his care for us continues on. And then later in John 14, verse 26, in this scripture, in the second half of the scripture, we have a description of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So let's go on to verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? This is a reasonable question. Their hope was that they would be liberated from the oppressive Roman rule and that Israel would be restored to its former greatness as a nation. And look at Jesus' response to that question. Basically, he's saying there's something way bigger coming that I want you to focus on. He says, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And this is the beautiful statement that comes after that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. <laughs> wow. What what a what a commission that is, isn't it? I love what uh, from the Message version of the Bible Acts one seven eight says regarding this. Uh, commission he's jesus told them you don't get to know the time remember their question about israel timing is the father's business what you will get is the holy spirit and when the holy spirit comes on you you will be able to be my witness in jerusalem all over judea and samaria and even to the ends of the world when the holy spirit comes upon you you will be able to be my witnesses again reassurance this is not something we are to undertake in our own limited human abilities reassurance about that comes to us also in in the commissioning that uh, Jesus spoke to the disciples before his resurrection Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20 this is a a passage you've heard over and over and yet it bears repeating here Regarding his presence in our lives. It says Jesus came up and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he goes on and says go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And then he closes this commission underscoring again. His presence. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, this is this is something we are going to do together because I live in you and the Holy Spirit is with you. Also, notice in verse 8, Jesus' statement, You shall be my witnesses. This is a prophecy. And and there are many wonderful prophets throughout the Bible aren't there. And and Isaiah, what what an amazing prophet. And yet this is a prophecy from the Creator and the Savior and Redeemer of the universe. You shall be my witnesses. We can take that to the bank. We shall be his witnesses. We are his witnesses. This is conveyed in, first of all, in John 8 when Jesus said... I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew 5, he said, You are the light of the world. How can that be? And the answer is because the light of the world lives in us. And his light shines through us into the world. Galatians 2.20 speaks to this about his living in us. And rather than read it to you, I want to sing it to you.
1: I live by faith in the Son of God Who loved me so
0: the Bible says we are to teach and admonish one another through psalms through the singing of psalms spiritual songs and hymns and it, it doesn't that speak again to the power of the word and, and all the ways we convey, can convey that power to one another I'm telling you scripture when it comes to poetry and beauty and rhythm man scripture is just so so powerful Let's talk about what it means to be a witness. And, and I was, as I was thinking about that, I, I couldn't help but go to the, 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 the trial uh, picture and, and the, you know, there's a jury and then there's somebody who's called to be a witness. And when, when they're called to be a witness, they come forward and they lay their hand on the Bible and they are asked, you promise? Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. And you say, I do. And I think that's appropriate here. And, and so let, let's look at, at what we as his witnesses are called to do in terms of telling the whole truth. And I, I would submit to you there's three parts of the truth that we want to tell. And the first part is the truth of who we are without Christ. And the truth of that is we are sinners separated from God By our sin. The second part of the truth is who Christ is. The truth of who he is. Is he's our creator. And our savior. And our redeemer. And the third part of the truth. Is who we are with Christ. And with Christ we are sinners. Saved by grace. Who are in the process. Of living out the life he's given us to live. And that process includes being his witnesses. And may I say this to you, that process of redemption and being his witnesses go hand in hand. Because as we, as we take on that sense of urgency that, that, is, that comes out of his thirst to see this mission fulfilled, his finished work accomplished, we are, we are spurred on to set aside those attachments we have to this world that we might carry on with this mission, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. I want to show you a picture now. It's called Ascension. As as we read these next three verses, I want you to just take a look at this picture, and I love it. It's by a guy named John Singleton Copley. It was painted in 1775, and and I love it because I believe it's it's faithful, to the accuracy of these three verses, but also it just conveys you know, that that glorious occasion and all the power that that was being revealed in that moment. Verses 9 through 11 says, After he had said these things, after he had called them to be his witnesses, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. More reassurance. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, in the vernacular, I would, I would say this in terms of what those, those two angels said to the disciples. Why are you just standing there? Get on with your mission. <laughs> Matthew Henry in his commentary is a little more gentle about, about uh, what took place there. He says, when we stand gazing and trifling, the consideration of our master's second coming should quicken and awaken us. And if we look, at, can we put that picture back up? Because as we look at this picture, if you can notice the men on the left are, are the ones who are, are gazing intently. And, and that speaks to this first part of Matthew Henry's statement. When we stand gazing and trifling, the consideration of our master's second coming should quicken and awaken us. Again, that sense of urgency within us because he lives in us and his mission lives in us. Now, the men on the right, you can't really tell too well, but there's men on the right who are are kneeling down. They're just like, this is too much for me. This is overwhelming. And Matthew Henry speaks to those men as well. He says, when we stand gazing and trembling, and rightfully so. I mean, this is Almighty God ascending into heaven. When we stand gazing and trembling, the consideration of it should comfort and encourage us. More reassurance he 's coming back he 's coming back again he 's coming back for us now there's an element to this being his witnesses that we that is so true i mean we 've talked about it. his mission lives in us, but well, we know what took place in his life as he came to earth for those three years don 't we and we know. It entailed suffering. And it entailed suffering because this world, this lost world, is either indifferent or else utterly disdainful of the, of, the, of the thought that it is in need of a Savior. And so we will encounter that as we seek to be His witnesses in various ways. And there's the truth of that suffering in our lives. But there's another piece to the suffering in our lives that we experience as fallen human beings. And that is simply, we ourselves still have attachments to this world. But here is why witnessing is such an integral part of our redemption. Because of this sense of urgency, because of our longing to be in his will and to be his witnesses. We are compelled to set aside those worldly attachments that would impede us from fulfilling his mission lived out in our lives. Wow, that's motivation, isn't it? Luke 9.23 tells us, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But here's the wonderful part that comes hand in glove with the suffering and that is, is, is we also get to share in his victory. And, of course, that's the, the fulfillment of that sharing this victory is, is down the line when we see him face to face. But even in the here and now, the fulfillment of just knowing, hey, I'm in God's will, and this is great. This is the best of all places to be. And didn't we see Jesus demonstrate that in Gethsemane? I mean, he, remember he said, God, if there's any way this cup can be taken from me, But remember what else he said? He said, But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew God's will is where it's at. And he and he preferred the fulfillment of being on that cross, but in his father's will to anything else. Yes, it entails suffering, but there was also this incredible satisfaction that we are that we get to experience as we choose his will, as we choose to take up our cross daily and follow him as we choose to be his witnesses. I found a beautiful hymn that was written 20 years ago that speaks to this suffering and to the the joy that comes with it. It's called, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone? And it says, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, no. There's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. The consecrated cross I'll bear till death shall set me free, and then go home my crown to wear, for there's a crown for me. Upon the crystal pavement, down at Jesus' pierced feet, joyful, I'll cast my golden crown and his dear name repeat. By the way, the crown is is the rewards God gives us for being faithful and serving him and remaining in his will. And certainly includes being his witnesses. The hymn closes by saying, O precious cross, O glorious crown, O resurrection day, ye angels from the stars come down and bear my soul away. Now that was written 200 years ago. And maybe the language could be we could say well that's a little dated but wow the truth of that hymn the truth of those words so beautiful and, and as we consider taking up our cross and following him and the suffering but also the joy that comes with it a shift takes place in our heart and it's, it's a shift like this it's, it's not I have to be in God's will it's a shift to I get to be in God's will because he lives in me and the Holy Spirit is, is, is supporting me in remaining in God's will, the best of all places. In a moment, we're going to see a clip of a world record relay race. And, and we're going to see men on the, women, on the winning team suffering for the sake of their goal. And we're going to see them celebrating at the end of their race as well and at the fulfillment of doing what they were meant to do. And there's a a beautiful spiritual metaphor here um, because we're all running a race. We're all running a spiritual race, aren't we? But the stakes we're playing for are so much more than a moment of glory in history. It's a matter of eternity. And the key to victory is running on God's team. As we watch this, I want you to consider the baton that these men are carrying as the, the saving message of the gospel of salvation. And you'll notice these men are careful to hold on to that baton so that they might be able to pass it on to the next person. Hebrews 12:1 through 2 speaks to this spiritual metaphor. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. An encumbrance is is a weight, an extra weight that that, that we need to download in order to be freed up to run the race all the better. The sin which so easily entangles us is the sin of unbelief, the sin that would have us drop out of the race and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the joy set before him well certainly that's the joy of being in his father's will but it's also the joy of our fellowship with him, of his presence in our lives that he so longs for. That's part of his joy as well that was set before him that said, I'm going I'm to finish my mission and I'm going to pass it on to those who follow me. Also, as we watch this clip, uh, consider this, uh, this passage refers to the great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And we know that refers to them Men and women in, in uh, Hebrews 11 who lived lives, exemplary lives of faith and, and finished their course faithful to God. And so that's part of the cloud of witnesses. But as we watch this, and there's, you're going to see thousands and thousands of people cheering these men on, we could also consider the witnesses to be those people in our lives who are watching us and who are wondering about this race we're running and considering if they might want to get into the race as well. Also, as we watch this, I I invite you to meditate on the race you are running in partnership with Almighty God. And I invite you to feel the longing welling up within you to carry out this mission he has called you to, to be his witnesses and to share the hope that he has placed in you. And as you seek to pass the baton to others in this mission, as we watch this clip, I invite you also to be prayerful about those people in your life who you want to pass that baton on to, both people you know right now and people you haven't met yet. And finally, as we watch this clip, I want you to bear in mind again, Christ is in you, strengthening you in this race. And the Holy Spirit is with you, guiding you every step of the way to keep you on track. So let's take a look.
2: With keen anticipation, of this men's 4x400. The full lineup: Russia, Jamaica, Kenya, Germany, the USA in five, Cuba, France, and Bulgaria. The US led off by Andrew
1: Valmont.
2: Oh, and for Kenya, who are probably the favorite for the silver medal. And leader has gone up really fast for Germany in lane four, but outside in still is Andrew Valman, and Valman is going, because the US are undoubtedly going for the world record here. That's a tough one. That was said at two minutes, 55.74 in the Olympics. And it's a great record. Let's see how they can fare. But Valman has given them the sort of start they need. Occien going for Kenya in three, O'Connor for Jamaica in lane two. But here comes Andrew Valmont, leading up the stagger of Ivan Garcia of Cuba. France going well further out, but Valmont is going to hand over in the lead for the USA. It's going to be the US on their own from here. Valmont handing over to the Olympic champion, Quincy Watts, who was out of the medals in the individual event, only four, and he's building up a huge lead. But they're settling in close behind, and the crowd giving great support, because they can see that cost and use of Germany is in second place. Well Watts really going hard for this here, the Russians closing up and the Germans, the Kenyans have now come through to their second place, Simon Kenboy goes for them, but Watts has got something like 20 metres.
3: Well you get the feeling now that the Americans are going all out, sometimes relays can coast through, but when you've got a quartet like these four, I get sensing that they're going to go for this world record, they've got the capability, look at that gap already, this is only the second leg, don't forget, and look how far they're ahead of the rest of the world.
2: Well, look at that time, 1.28.03 o'clock, Valmont in 44.5, that means Watts ran 43.5. They're storming away, and now you've got the world record holder
3: on the third leg, Butch Reynolds, look at the determination on this man's face. They're almost 60 or so yards in front of the Germans, coming through hard, the crowd are going berserk about that. But up front, we're on for a world record. Look at that gap, it's staggering. Butch Reynolds is piling it on around that top bend.
2: There's a good race going on for second place, though, behind them. Look at this, the Germans and the French, and then the Kenyans. But now we concentrate as Butch Reynolds will hand over to Michael Johnson. Oh, on that time, 2.11.36. That means that Reynolds has run 43 43 three-leg. Well, the world record is on now. Johnson is almost sure to get it. He only needs about uh, 44-3 for the world record. And that's well within his capabilities. He ran 43-6 in an individual event. He's got a flying start this time. But that battle is still on behind for the other medals. Here's the Russians, then the Germans, Kenya, Jamaica, Cuba. They're all in contention. First of all, we're looking at Michael Johnson this brilliant sprinter who's moved up from 200 metres and here's the battle on for the other placings, the Kenyans coming up, the Germans going really well, Thomas labour on the last leg for them, Samson Guterres goes for Kenya and here comes Johnson, the world record has been smashed by a second and a half as the battle is on for the other medals and Kenya take it on the line with the Germans getting the bronze and France a fourth with Russia fifth there congratulations all round. But this
3: man Michael Johnson has just run 42.9 seconds. I'll say that again 42.9 seconds. That is the fastest time a human being has ever run a 400 meters. Two minutes,
0: 54. Point- We're in a race that's even better. The key to passing the baton, let's let's talk about that. A huge key to passing that baton is remembering each and every one of us, both believers and not yet believers, are in equal need of Christ. And so we pass that baton humbly. And we don't throw it at them, do we? We offer it to them and hope and pray that they will take it and run with it. 1 Peter 3.15 from the message. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts attention in adoration before Christ, your master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. And always, with the utmost courtesy, offering, offering that baton. And, and you know track coaches when they coach passing the baton they they say, "Okay, the man who has the baton is to, is to come forward and he's to extend it and hold it in place and the person taking the baton is to reach back and grasp it and doesn't that speak to this principle Peter shares in in uh, First Peter 3.15 the Holy Spirit has to be in the handoff only God saves it's not an act of persuasion by us it's a move of him in someone's heart our role as witnesses is to share God's plan of salvation in word and deed and in obedience humbly but the beautiful part of this is as we do so, every now and then we are privileged to see a whole new life begin right in front of us. Oh, what a joy that is. I want to share something else with you in, too. Witnessing, and this is I think this is the best kept secret in Christendom. Witnessing is a blast. <laughs> it's a blast, it's so it's so fulfilling. You know, in in that in that uh, clip, we saw these athletes entering into this, this race and doing what they were meant to do, and we see their purpo- purposefulness in the race, don't we? And we see they're, they're standing with their arms around one another at the end celebrating. And like we said, we have it even better. And our race, when does our race run? When do you think our race is completed? And that's right. It's when we see him face to face. And until that day, we keep going. Yes. We stay in the race. We run the race with endurance. But there's an important ramification to this metaphor that we need to add because in this race we saw each man, each individual man passing the baton onto another man. And in this, this spiritual race we are in, it's more than that. We pass the baton Onto someone, and we pray and encourage them to keep running. And we also have the chance to offer that baton to others and see them take it as well. When I went to my, the person named Wally Giles who introduced me to Christ, when I went to his funeral, I thought, I'm going to go and tell them about how Wally passed the baton to me and how he ran alongside me for 22 years before he went home. And I was so looking forward to to letting people know about Wally. And I was so surprised. I got to that funeral and person after person stood up and said, I want to tell you how Wally passed the baton on to me. That is the master's plan of evangelism and discipleship. And that's why when he left this earth, when he ascended, estimates of, of his followers ranged from 120 to as many as 500, but to all appearances, it would think, well, that was a good three years, and he he got some followers, but it's going to fizzle out now. This plan works. Here we are, and it's, it's ongoing. His mission that he accomplished and is in the process of being fulfilled works in and through us. I want, to, I want to share one more thing with you before I sing a song that's going to kind of put a bow around this message, and that's this. This isn't just one more thing to add to our to-do list. This is an integral part of our life in Christ. It, it, it is, it, we need to take this into the absolute core of our being and live it out day by day. It's part of who we are in Him, and it's a huge part of who we are in Him. Let me sing in this song. This is called Thank God. His cup
1: our gain, this cross our claim to his grace for our salvation because of his longing for all his creation. Thank God for that brutal and beautiful. To answer his life, ours to shine, his love, ours to share and declare, because he's the way and the truth, and the life, thank God, for that glorious is victorious.
0: What an honor to be God's witnesses in this lost world. I want to add, though, we, not only do we get to bear witness to those who don't know him yet, but, but as we are his witness, we, we bear witness to one another and we encourage, and we encourage one another. As we, as we worship him together, as we grow in Christ together, as we love and serve one another together, and of course as we reach out to all together, we inspire and spur each other on. And let us always thank God for that brutal and beautiful day on the cross when he died to pay for our sins and for that victorious, glorious day of his resurrection and the promise of new life that comes with it. And let us hold dearly his calling in our lives to be his witnesses. Amen. Let's go out and live it.